Hello, friends. Welcome back to Own Your Life. We're your hosts, Lexi and Sarah. And we are back with another episode of OYL for you this week. This is our fifth episode. Oh my God. That's, I was going to say that's more than four, but that's so, okay. (laughs) It is more than four. (laughs) Don't mind me right now. I read this stat the other day that most podcasts don't make it past 10 episodes. So we're halfway there. I feel like our goal should definitely be 11. And then we can make another goal after that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Anyways, how are you today? I'm doing good today. Our fitness facility at Linfield, so this is just a Linfield thing, is closed for the week for no reason. So (laughs) I decided today's the day I usually run. So I ran on the track in the rain. And as it turns out, I've known this before, but I physically cannot pace myself outside running by myself. Like I I cannot. I think we talked about this in the last podcast, the consistency podcast, where I usually give myself a range. Like I'm gonna do I'm gonna do four to six miles, depending on how I'm feeling. I already before I left today was not feeling it. I was like, this could be like a four mile day. Usually when I say that though, it still ends up being six. And <laughs> I started Sarah, running. the overachiever, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I literally started running. I'm looking on my Apple Watch. And I'm trying to pace myself and rolling mile. I don't know what that means, but apparently it's not correct because I looked at my stats afterwards. But anyways, it's telling me I'm running like 830 and I feel like I'm dying. And I got done and I hit that four mile and I pressed stop and I started walking. I was literally out of breath. I like the treadmill because I can pace myself. And that is what I've learned today. (laughs) Oh, nice. Nice. Wait, so what was your pace at the end of it? It was like... No. So usually what I do is every mile I get faster. So I'm looking at my rolling yeah. mile on my watch and it's saying I'm running like 830 and I feel like I'm running way faster than that. And so then the next mile goes by. I'm like, okay, well, then I have to run faster. Ran faster and said I'm running like 823. And then I'm like trying to run 10 seconds faster each mile. And I got done. My average pace was eight minutes. My last mile was 730 or 740, which made sense because I was dying. But I wish I would have known that because I probably could have paced myself better and gone a little farther. Yeah. I've noticed that too. Like sometimes it'll be like you're rolling miles 11 minutes and that's not really accurate. I try not to pay attention much to the rolling miles to be honest. But Uh, then I I can't pace myself off feel either. So this is why I like to run with other people outside. Well, (laughs) I was going to say I've noticed that when I've run with you, you are like sprinting and I'm like, oh my God, I can barely keep up. Uh, yeah. And I think this is why I hated running for so long. I seriously hated it because, because every time I would go run, I was pushing myself way too hard to the point where I was dying. And it wasn't until I would either run on the treadmill at a set pace or I'd run with friends to where we have to be talking the whole time. And then I'm like, wait, this is actually really fun when I'm not at max heart rate for five miles. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyways, I ran in the rain and then I played tennis and practice was fun. And now we're here. That is nice. how my day is going. <laughs> um, I love that. Yeah. How's your day going? My day's good. I was in Corvallis this morning and packed up all my stuff and then I drove over to Bend. And I have a love-hate relationship with my car rides between Corvallis and Bend because on the one hand, I love just sitting there and listening to podcasts the whole time. That is so fun to me. Yes, I agree. And at the end of it, I always feel so inspired, but I don't like sitting there for that long. Today, especially, my back was hurting the whole time. And I was like, I cannot wait to get out of this car. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So 
the drive was okay, but I made it. And then when I got here, I was feeling a little lethargic. I hadn't really done anything. I'd just been sitting in the car, you know? Right. So I immediately changed my clothes and I went for a run. Oh my, you went for a run? Yeah. I went went for for a run? I know. I went for a run for the first time in like two months. Oh my God. How was it? It was good. Okay. So for those of you listening who don't know, basically right before Thanksgiving, I broke my toe and then three days later, I dislocated my kneecap. (laughs) So it was just, it was just an unfortunate series of events. And so I didn't run for a while. And finally, my knee is great. That felt fine. That's really good. Yeah. My toe is like still getting there a little bit, but it's funny you say you ran on the track because I went up to COCC, Central Community College. Yeah. And I just ran on the track there and it was all like flat and stuff. And, you know, the track has that nice little like cushy bounce to it. Right. Yeah. It does feel better. That's called. Yeah. But my foot did okay. So good. It felt good. Did your Apple Watch notice you were at a track? Oh my God. Yes. I was (laughs) going to bring that up. I, yeah, this is the first time I've ever, sometimes I'll be on the track just walking. I'm like, no, I'm not at a track. But like when you start your workout, it will be like, are you at a track? Like, looks like you're at a track. And so I was like, yeah, I'm at a track. And then it's, it asks you what lane you're in. So it can like really accurately tell, basically it just knows this is how many laps you did. So the coolest thing about this, and I don't know if you looked this at this after, was you can look at how fast each lap was, what your mile pace was for each lap. So that was pretty cool because my first lap was like 840, 845. And then every single lap actually got a little bit faster, which was super cool. And I think that if you're doing a workout where you're doing 400 meter splits, you can even put different segments. Segment one is done and it could tell you like what your pace was for segment one. And so that way you could actually track your pace and then take rest intervals too. So I might try some more things with that on the track. Is that kind of how it went for you? Yeah. I mean, so I started running from my house and I ran to the track. And then once I got to the track, it was like, it looks like you're at a track. I was like, oh, I've never seen the watch do this before. Yeah. it was. I just accepted it. I was like, yeah, I am at a track. My only thing was, I'm not sure if this track is a perfect 400 meters or not. Does the watch know or? or Oh, interesting. Well, I I think the watch actually does know because my watch said that each lap around the Linfield track was actually 0.24 miles. Oh. Because then I got done with 16 laps and it was like, you're at 3.97 miles. And I was like, uh. I was like, I'm done with this. (laughs) That's funny. But yeah, I think it actually does know the distance. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to go look at that. I didn't really pay much attention to be honest, but. As I was running back, I was thinking we should do a podcast on running. Our, oh, yeah. Because I feel like we both weren't natural born runners, but we no. like, taught ourselves kind of. Yeah. <laughs> well, hun- yeah, 100%. And people ask me about because I run consistently, but I don't I still don't. I go back and forth about this. I don't really consider myself a runner. I think both of us, are. we were never naturally good. There's people that were born to run and I just don't consider myself that. But I right. think we both like right. overcome that to an extent. Yeah, I agree. It didn't come super naturally, but then later in life, it ended up being a fun hobby. Yeah. So (laughs) anybody can get into running. We are proof. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I actually hated running in school. But anyways, we can save this. But (laughs) yeah, (laughs) we'll talk about this in the running podcast. Any other cool things going on this week? Only other thing is I'm about to work a week of overnight shifts. 
Oh my and, God. Yeah. So it's like 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. or something like that. I'm like half nervous about it, half. I'm kind of, I'm curious. I wonder if I'll like it because I've never done it before. I feel like that's such a cool mindset. You're curious about it. The other day I saw something on Instagram and a girl was like, I could be afraid of this or not super excited about it, or I could just be curious about it. I love that mindset. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. This kind of goes in with what we're talking about today a little bit. Yeah, 100%. That's very exciting. You'll definitely have to let me know how that goes. Do you have any other updates? Monday of this week was super nice. I was in Corvallis and I had the most iconic recovery day of all time. I went on a hike. I went to yoga. I was going to sauna and then I didn't. That was a bummer. And then Lexi and I, we like went on a walk, which was super nice. Got coffee. It was just the most relaxing day. So I feel like I'm kind of in a very relaxed state just because of that one day. Like it's crazy how much one day can just revive you. That's great. I was just thinking about that in my drive over today. The concept of working four days a week versus five days a week, because just that one extra day, you can like totally reset yourself and feel like ready to go. Right. Versus only having two days off is difficult. Right. It was exciting for me because my rest days that fall on tennis rest days or my gym rest days, those have been the days the past three months at least that I've been going hard teaching tennis at the tennis club. And so I never feel like I've had a rest recovery, mental recovery day. And so that's why I think this felt so good was because I I didn't really have any obligations. I love that. Yeah. Well, should Uh, we get started? Yeah, let's get started with the pod. So today we are going to be talking about performance anxiety. And this was kind of actually a suggestion that one of you had for us to do an episode on this. We changed it a little bit. So hopefully you like it. I think Sarah and I have both experienced performance anxiety in the past, and it's something that we both still experience to this day. And we wanted to talk about it because it's something that we go through and we're still kind of figuring it out. And we just figured we'd have a conversation and maybe we can learn from each other. Maybe you guys can learn something from us. 100%. This is one of those things that Lexi and I were talking off the pod and we were like, we definitely still don't have this figured out by any means. So this is one of those things that I think it's exciting to just have a conversation about it. And then also, if you guys are listening to this, something speaks to you, that's great. Or if you have tips for us, by all means, send them our way because this is something we go through. Yes, absolutely. So Sarah, in what ways have you experienced performance anxiety in your life? For anyone that knows me, truly, the biggest area I've experienced performance anxiety has been on the tennis court. Truly, the reason I'm actually very happy I play tennis is because everything else in my life feels so much easier after playing a tennis match. For some reason, that stresses me out. I'm shaking. I've had some really disastrous moments on the tennis court. (laughs) Because I've been so nervous, so anxious about performing. I know I've practiced, I've played a million hours of tennis, and for some reason, I've still struggled with this. So that's the biggest area, I would say, in some capacity, working like at a new job or whatever, just things I don't feel especially comfortable with or haven't had as much practice with. I also feel it a little bit there. I do think I'm kind of weird because truly, I've never felt it at school. And so I spent a lot of time being like, why do I not get performance anxiety on tests? But I do when I play tennis. That's super weird, I think, to have those two aspects of my life that kind of should both induce anxiety and one completely does and one completely doesn't. Where have you experienced it? It's interesting that you say tennis is the main thing for you because if it is something that causes you a lot of anxiety and still does, it's interesting that you continue to play, honestly, because... (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, that I sounds agree. stressful. That sounds I'm, stressful. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I think what we were talking about in the last, the consistency pod, I just really, really put so much trust in my coach when he's like, trust the process, the work you do matters. It might not seem like it right now, but you never know when you're going to have that breakthrough. I've kind of just been waiting for this performance anxiety <laughs> breakthrough for like <laughs> six years. And we'll get into this more, but there is some truth to that. So you're in too deep, basically. <laughs> I'm truly, I, it's not like I've played another sport since I was three years old. I'm just going to keep doing this, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That is funny. So I feel like the main ways I've experienced this, I mean, I played sports growing up, but I was never super competitive about it. And I didn't, I really didn't get it and for like games or anything like that. Yeah. But I did have it a little bit for school and not in the sense of test anxiety, more like presentation anxiety. Oh, yeah. I think that's getting up in front of the class. I actually read this stat the other day that one in 10 people would choose death over performing or speaking in front of a large audience. Wow. This was literally two days ago. Anyways, (laughs) that's crazy. Yeah, (laughs) it's definitely gotten better for me over the years. Like it's not so bad anymore. But even in my residency, which I just did last year, I had to give presentations like every couple of weeks and it still made me nervous and even if it was a virtual presentation i'd still get nervous and i think i'm pretty good at faking it but i still get that performance anxiety and then the other situation is just at work i work in a hospital and there are a lot of urgent situations that come up i'm young in my career and i encounter things every day that i've never seen before and it can be stressful when it's an urgent situation and someone's asking you for the answer and you're like i don't know i let me figure it out you know so i think i get it in that way as well for sure why do you think you have experienced performance anxiety in those spheres like do you think it's mostly as you said you're new and you are facing new things that you just haven't seen before i mean i think that would give anyone anxiety yeah to some to some degree you know but i think the reason why i've experienced it a lot especially with school i've just put a lot of pressure on myself to perform I'm such a perfectionist. I know we've talked about this off the pod. We're both maximizers. If we feel like something's not great, then it's not good. Right. <laughs> and, and that's something that I'm still working on. But I really think that a lot of it is self-inflicted. It's not like I have pressure from my teachers or my family or my boss telling me that I need to do better at work. Right. It's it's all me. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. So for myself, I was thinking, you know, I'm thinking about this podcast. Why do I feel like as a division three college tennis player growing up, why have I experienced this insane performance anxiety? And that was probably one of the biggest conclusions I came to as well, which is I am the one who is putting putting this pressure on myself. No one else. My parents have my my dad has asked me before. He's asked, like, how did I put too much pressure on you growing up? I'm like, no, I never. I I always knew if I wanted to quit tennis, I could if I wanted to. <laughs> Truly, I think I've set these expectations for myself that were also just not very realistic. Part of that, I think, has had to do with I've always been like, I want to be the hardest worker in the room. You know, I want to go the extra step. I want to get the extra rep. And I think a lot of that bled over to, well, now since I've worked so hard, I should perform well. And it's not linear like that. All these expectations I've set for myself, I just realized it's just me. It's truly just me. Yeah. I mean, I'm not glad you say that, but it makes me feel better (laughs) that I'm not alone in that. Right. My parents have said that too. They would be like, it's okay if you get a B. It's fine. 
I do it to myself. And I think it's something that you're born with to some degree. Yeah. I don't know. I do think we've talked about before, like when we were both younger, we were good at math in third grade. We were good at math. And then the teacher told us we were good at math and we liked that praise. And then we're like, okay, well, we should continue to be good at math. This is part (laughs) of our identity now. And it just like bleeds into everything else. Right. But I also think going off of that, when I was thinking about why I've struggled with this, to some extent, I do think it was an ego thing. I think I have been on the tennis court worried about what other people are thinking because I know everybody knows I've been playing tennis for so long and I felt this pressure because I don't want to like go on the tennis court and not be able to hit a ball and people be like, why, why, why is she playing college tennis? As much as I want to say, I don't care what people think on the tennis court. I do. And I have. Mm hmm. Right. And I feel like that's true for me, too. And it's hard not to care what other people think. As hard as you try, you still kind of (laughs) do. Exactly. I do think people know I've put in the work and I don't want to be that girl. It's like, oh, she's put in so much effort. And then why did she waste all that energy on something she's not good at? You know, there's so many different dialogues that go through my head. Of, Is this what this person's saying? You're like, whatever. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. And I was also going to bring up a point too. While I do think a lot of this is self-inflicted, I also think a lot of it has to do with outside influence the media. Because in today's day and age, we're constantly consuming TV, social media, movies. And not only are you looking at celebrities or influencers, you're also looking at what your peers are doing. And they're looking right. at what you're doing. Exactly. And so it's just so easy to compare and think that this is what your life should be like, or this is how you should be performing. For sure. I agree 100%. So going off of this, we've both experienced this to some extent, just speaking for myself, it's gotten better. I can't say we're 100% the way there. But what are things that you've tried in the past to overcome this things that you've heard or done before to work towards not feeling this anxiety at work or wherever you feel it? That's a good question. To be completely honest with you, I don't think I've dealt with this well in the past at all. (laughs) <laughs> no same and that makes think, me also glad to know i'm not alone with that yeah and i think the way i've dealt with this in the past is literally by being a perfectionist stressing myself out to perform well and to know everything and to do everything right i think i took this to an extreme and sarah i don't even know if i've ever told you this before but when i was in high school i started to get really bad stomach pains all the time and i would complain to my mom about it you know my stomach hurts whatever but i was like 16 and she i mean she didn't know what was wrong with me she took me to the doctor a couple of times and they told me to try an elimination diet see if that helps yeah and i tried all these things nothing would help so finally i was like you know it's fine. I'm just, my stomach's just going to hurt forever. You're going to stomach pain for the rest of your life. Yeah. And then when I was 20, long story short, I was at a wedding, started to get severe stomach and shoulder pain, like really horribly severe. Someone took me to the ER. Turns out I had ulcers in my stomach and one of the ulcers chewed a hole through the wall of my stomach. Ugh. And and I had to get emergency surgery and I was in the hospital for five days at age 20 because of a stress ulcer. (laughs) So you got the ulcer from stress. Well, generally people get ulcers because they took too many NSAIDs, like too much ibuprofen, which I wasn't doing that. I wouldn't be surprised if I had a stomach ulcer. But you should go to the doctor if you think you do. (laughs) (laughs) 
Or the other way is there's a bacteria that can actually cause it. They tested me for that twice and it was negative both times. So they were like, we don't know why you got these ulcers. It's probably stress, but that's not clinically proven to be a cause. Because I think a lot of people think of stress as I can deal with that. People think of being healthy as being fit, you know, going to the gym or eating well. But a lot of people forget that stress really impacts your life and it can impact your lifespan as well. It can manifest for people in so many different ways. Right. But yeah, I think how I dealt with this in the past is I let myself get to extreme levels of stress to the point where I literally almost died. (laughs) So yeah, no, I don't. What what have you done in the past? (laughs) Well, I just want to say I'm glad you're still here. (laughs) I've tried so many things because I've known this has been a problem for so long. I go on tennis court to play mat. I'm in practice. Everything's great. I feel solid. I feel confident. I'm killing it. And then I go play one match and I am crumbling, shaking, double faulting, cannot hit a ball in the tennis court. I've read books and things online and there have been professional tennis players that have also struggled with this. That made me feel a little bit better, but it was debilitating. And I was always just really bummed watching my teammates or watching my friends go play a tennis match and actually play better. Because I mean, even when you're running and you're racing, usually you perform better because it's competition that actually induces you to perform better. For me, I perform worse. I've known this has been a problem. I've tried everything that society tells you to try. I've tried rituals. I would listen to music before the match would be like, okay, maybe I need to eat this certain thing before the match or I would journal or whatever it was. I could not find a certain routine that stuck. Even my coaches a lot of times would tell me this, just hit the ball, just go for it. And I tried that (laughs) and that didn't work either because I just hit every ball out of the court. (laughs) I just want to ask you a question. Did you have this performance anxiety from when you started tennis when you were a little kid or did it increase over the years and get worse? That's a good question. It definitely got worse. I remember playing tournaments when I was 10, 11, 12, and I don't remember this ever being a thing. I honestly think it started in high school. So for anybody that is familiar with high school tennis, how do I put this? The level of people I was playing against was so much lower. For the most part, people that play high school tennis have never played tennis before. There's a few that have and they go and win. But for the most part, it's a lot of people that have never stepped on the tennis court or have been playing one or two years, which is not a lot because tennis takes five, 10 years to like actually really understand and know and feel confident about. I was always playing these matches where there's this obvious expectation that I should win. It wasn't even close. And so I think I started to get really nervous in those situations because I'm like, what if I lose to this person that's never played tennis before? And so I would do everything to make sure that I won, but I wouldn't actually play the way I wanted to play. And I think that kind of just rolled over into more and more of my matches kind of dealt with the same thing even starting my college tennis career because I was playing pretty low in the lineup the first couple of years against schools where there was an expectation that I should just win my match. And so I think having those expectations never has helped me. Right. That is so interesting too, because tennis is such an individual sport that it's it's you versus that person. So it's not like basketball where if you lose to a team you shouldn't lose to, it's not necessarily all on you. Exactly. And I think that's a big component. I never felt that in soccer. It sucks when you mess up in soccer. But at the end of the day, so many different things have happened. On the tennis court, you know, if you lose, it's your fault. There is no sugarcoating that. <laughs> yeah, you can't blame anyone else to like, so, own it. To some yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I've tried plenty of different things. Only up until this year have I, I feel like I've had a little bit of a breakthrough. That's amazing. 
I've spent years looking for a protein powder that is well-sourced and minimally processed, which is why I was stoked to come across Momentus. Momentus Whey Protein Isolate Powder is made from 100% grass-fed whey protein isolate. It's easy on the stomach, blends well, and tastes great. I take Momentus protein powder mixed with water and Momentus creatine after every workout, but it's also great in smoothies and baked goods. If you'd like to try Momentus, head to livemomentous.com and use code OYL15 at checkout to get 15% off your entire purchase. That's code OYL15 at livemomentous.com for 15% off your purchase. I hope you love Momentus as much as I do. What do you feel like has led you to that breakthrough? What are you doing differently now? I would say the biggest thing I'm doing differently now or the biggest thing that has helped me is just focusing on what I can control. Like we were talking about, it's a tennis match. There's a million different factors, a million different variables. In the past, my mind has definitely wandered. What are people thinking? Should I have hit that shot? Should I have not hit that shot? So many different things are going through my mind to where I just cannot focus or be present on the tennis court. I would say the biggest thing I've done is just one or two things that I can control. I'm dialed in on that. Recently, this has been taking my racket back. A lot of times I'm just so nervous on the tennis court. I just forget to move my feet and forget to take my racket back. So if I say every single time that they start hitting the ball, racket back, then what that does is I'm actually I'm focused on getting my racket back. So that actually occurs when it's supposed to. It also keeps my mind focused on something really small, but focused to where it can't drift and think about other things. For the people here that don't know anything about tennis, such as myself, it's very niche. (laughs) Racket racket back. That means just basically getting yourself ready to like hit the next. Right. When you hit the ball, you have to do your backswing. If you don't start that backswing early enough, then you're going to be late hitting the ball. And so I realized a lot of times I'm late hitting the ball because I'm literally just standing there shaking, not doing anything. It helps in that respect. But again, I think the biggest thing this does is it just keeps my mind focused on that one thing and it keeps me from you know drifting to where I can really be so present on the tennis court, like every single ball, rack it back, rack it back, rack it back. And it's been really working for me so far. Do you feel like that has been helping you with anxiety leading up to the match though? Or does that only help you during... That's a good question. Honestly, I've never really thought about this. I don't tend to get anxious before the match. There's been so many times Uh the past few years where I'm like, okay, cool. I'm chilling. I'm going to go play. All is going to be well. I'm feeling good. And then I step on the tennis court and play the first point. And I'm like, I am not feeling good. But it actually, it, it definitely has increased my confidence. I know if I think about this and I know if I stay focused on this, I will perform better. So that's definitely Mm -hmm. helped. What's something maybe you've done to help with your performance anxiety? I mean, that's really interesting because I feel like my performance anxiety has always, let's say it's like presentation. It sets in for me like hours before I even have to give a presentation. And then it's building up until it's done. And I think right now at this stage in my life, my main source of performance anxiety truly is what situation am I going to run into where I don't know the answer and right you know get stressed out about it and And it's hard because you'll never know the answer in advance right and in a way it's good because i don't really get anxiety until that moment comes kind of like what you were saying but i think one of the approaches that i'm trying to implement right now is just kind of similar to what you said i can only prepare myself as best as i can but i have to recognize that i will literally never know everything (laughs) and i i have to accept that and i have to be okay with that What you're saying, I can actually resonate a lot with because one thing that also helped for me 
was realizing and coming to the conclusion that I will miss balls. That sounds so silly. Even when you watch professional tennis, half the time one of them misses the ball and half the time the other person misses the ball. And so just realizing that I will miss the ball. They will hit good balls. I will make mistakes. All I can do leading up to the match is prepare myself as best I can to know those situations I might get in in advance or practice the types of balls that I might encounter. But I will make mistakes. But one thing that's nice about tennis is all I need to do is win 51% of the points. And I think that mindset was so liberating. All I have to do is just play my game and I will miss balls. I'll make balls. I'll have great shots. I'll have bad shots. It's just like life. You will have good days. You'll have bad days. You will make mistakes. The important thing is to learn from them and move on. Right. Fully. And I think going off of that, I relate to that so much because when I was first starting out as a pharmacist, I was absolutely terrified to verify an order just to to put my initials on it and be like, yep, this is good because I was so afraid of making a mistake. One of my preceptors one day just told me, you're going to make mistakes. Right. That's how you learn. That's just how it goes. And you have to accept that and be okay with it. And obviously, like, I don't want to kill someone. And that's, I think that's where all that anxiety was coming from. Right. (laughs) And obviously, you still want to be diligent and thorough. Just accepting that fact that you will make mistakes, I think, is really important. Right. And that made me, me think of another thing, which is when I'm on the tennis court, one thing I've been telling myself is, and this is maybe not the best, but how do I want to lose? Like, if I'm going to lose this match, do I want to lose it playing not to lose or do I want to lose it playing to win? I don't know how that can really relate to pharmacy, but for me, that was such a huge mindset shift. If I'm going to lose this match, I'll probably lose either way. And if I'm going to win this match, I will most likely win it if I'm playing to win. I'm rarely going to play a tennis match and win it playing not to lose. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, it makes total sense. And in life, I want to do things with intention. I want to be about it. Whatever I'm doing, I want to be about it and just full send it. If I'm going to fail, fail big. I love that. And yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't think that translates super well over to like no. my job, but <laughs> Definitely I think not. For, no, but I think for your situation, I think that's a really good mentality right. to have. And I mean, we've even talked about this with the podcast before. We might as well be about it and full send it because no one ever succeeded at something and was half-assing it, honestly. Right. And honestly, everyone's going to think whatever you're doing is cringy until you actually make it (laughs) and succeed. And then all of a sudden you're cool. Right. I've talked to people about the podcast and there are people that do think it's cool. And if those are the people you want to be surrounding yourself with. And if if they Mm -hmm. get it, cool. If not, it's fine. (laughs) I agree. I mean, that even goes on to I said focusing on what I can control is definitely the biggest thing that's helped me break through this performance anxiety I've been facing. But the second biggest thing I would say is realizing I play Division three tennis in McMinnville, Oregon. Truly, whether I win or lose these tennis matches, my life will not be impacted at all. Pretty much at all. (laughs) This term I came across called the spotlight effect. Basically, the spotlight effect says there's two big mistakes in life. The first is being worried about what other people are thinking of you, like we just talked about. And the second is believing that people think about you in the first place. People Mm -hmm. are so consumed with what they're doing and how they look to other people. A lot of people don't really spend that much time thinking about you. Maybe your parents. Your parents probably think about you quite a bit and they care about you and want you to succeed. But for the most part, 
no one's really thinking about you that hard. I think that's just one thing I came to terms with that actually was super liberating. Like, I really care about you. And I'm not thinking about what is Lexi doing? Like, I that's cringy or whatever. I'm focused on myself. And I think a lot of other right. people are too. And just for the record, I'm not looking up your tennis stats either. <laughs> Literally no one. <laughs> that's, I mean, yes. <laughs> people see my team won the match sometimes. Like, three or four people text me and be like, oh, I saw your team won this match. Congrats. No one cares that much. Yeah. And truthfully, only the people that are in that space are going to maybe know about it and maybe care. But they most likely won't. (laughs) Exactly. And that's another thing, too. And this goes for anything. But if someone's taking time out of their day to talk about, let's just say me, or talk about my match, or talk about how cringy something I did was... That's probably, first of all, someone who I don't want to really surround myself with or associate with. And also just not someone who care what they think. (laughs) Right. You don't value their opinion. Right. Exactly. So why why would you have anxiety over it? Exactly. exactly. And the people whose opinions I value are not going to judge me off of how well I play a tennis match. Right. Basically, those points you just made were some of the exact same points I was going to say. Like the cold hard truth is that people care about themselves. Right. No one really cares about how you're performing except for you. Even you mentioned the parents. They just want you to be happy and healthy. They don't care how well you do on a test or that you win your match, that you got promoted at work. They just want you to be living your best life, you know? Right. Exactly. And then going back to your previous point, I think you said something about if I lose this match, it really doesn't impact my life greatly at all. And I resonate that a lot with my current work anxiety. I think how I deal with that is just realizing most things, yeah, they might cause me a little anxiety, a little stress in the moment, but most things really are not a life or death situation. And if I don't know the answer immediately, it's okay. I have time to figure it out. And a really big thing that I've been trying to focus on is just knowing what my resources are and utilizing them. If I don't know something, where can I look it up? Who can I call? Like, what can I do to help me get through this situation instead of just completely panicking? Yeah, I love that. We have Google. There are a million other qualified pharmacists you're surrounded by, other qualified health professionals. You have Lexicom. That's a pharmacy reference, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) So many different resources. That goes really well into my next point, which is I just learned to think smarter, not harder. And what I mean by that Mm -hmm. is my perspective on the tennis court completely. I don't think, honestly, I've said like these are the biggest things that have impacted my tennis anxiety. But I think maybe I could argue coaching tennis has has had the biggest impact on my perspective change. Last year, I went through a really bad foot injury and I didn't play tennis for three months, which is the longest amount of time I've gone without playing tennis. The whole time, though, I was still coaching tennis. And when I started coaching tennis, I actually started paying attention a little bit more to things that you should be doing when you play tennis. Things that I was taught when I was six years old. I was teaching six-year-olds how to hit a tennis ball, going back completely to the basics. And I started realizing as I'm coaching, I'm like, wait, do I even actually do that on my stroke? Is this how I'm hitting the ball? And then I'm talking to older kids about strategy. You want to hit the ball cross court. You want to build the point, wait for that short ball, attack that short ball. And I'm like, how often have I actually been thinking about this? How much have I been consumed by, oh, get the ball back, try not to lose. I want to win this match. How often have I actually been present on the tennis court playing the way I was taught to play? 
And so even though I even wasn't playing when my foot is injured, and even though I've probably been playing tennis less this past year than I ever have in my whole life, my perspective has just completely shifted because I see the court so differently now. And I'm honestly just doing the basic things. Like in my last match, Tessa, my coach was like, what are you doing? What are you doing that's working? And I told her I'm hitting every ball cross court, the most basic tennis 101 thing you could do. Again, I wasn't practicing more. I wasn't getting more reps. I wasn't working out more. I truly just went back to the basics, thinking smarter, not harder. Totally. I think that is really similar to what I was saying, because it's like, all right, if you don't know what to do, go back to the basics, find your resources, figure it out. You know, exactly. I love that one. I think the last thing that I wanted to talk about in terms of my approaches for how I've been trying to overcome this is just... Whether it's work, whether it's you're nervous for an interview, if you're presenting, you're public speaking, like anything like that, anything that induces this, just realize most things are not that deep. Oh my God, that was my next, literally word for word. (laughs) Okay, yeah. And most things, if you think back to them in a year, they will not matter. Or five years, if this isn't going to matter in a year, why am I freaking out over it? And I try to remind myself that. I know it's hard, but... I could not agree more. Really, my point exactly was I've just realized, for me at least, it's not that deep. No one cares that much. And I might as well have fun. And same for you in the professional world. You are doing something stressful. You are doing something high stakes. But it also, to some extent, is your passion. And it's something that interests you. For whatever you're doing, if you can just make it fun and have a curious mindset and realize that again like you said if it's not going to matter in the next five minutes five years probably, or five wait what <laughs> if it's not going to matter in five years yeah not five minutes. if it's not <laughs> well i mean truly like a lot of things probably you forget about them within five minutes you know and so true good yeah. point <laughs> but no that's a great point if it's not going to matter even in the next year oh that's the quote i heard if it's not going to matter in the next year don't spend more than five minutes worrying about it Oh, yeah. There you go. It's the same idea. Yeah. It's not that deep. Yeah, I agree. And I remembered the quote from my five-minute journal last night. Oh, (laughs) yeah. It was something along the lines of, life is about taking the moment and making the best of it without knowing what's going to happen next. I love that. Embrace it and just, I don't know, just try not to stress. (laughs) If it goes well, that's exciting. If it doesn't go well... It's like the five-minute journal says, the five-minute journal at the end of the day doesn't ask you what went bad today. It asks you, what did you learn today? So if something doesn't go the way you wanted it to, just learn from it. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. I feel like that was honestly most of everything I had to say. The only other thing I will add, and this wasn't even on my notes, I think a big thing that helped me was actually acknowledging I had a problem. Actually acknowledging that I struggled with anxiety on the tennis court. And like you just said, embracing it. When I'm talking to my coach, when I'm talking to my parents, I started using dialogue that I hadn't used before, which was more like, I don't love playing tennis matches. I don't perform the way I want to on the court. I get nervous to play tennis match. And before that, I was just trying to fake it till I made it. Just be like, I love competing. I love tennis matches. I'm getting so hyped when in reality, I love hitting the ball back and forth. I love training. Tennis matches are not my favorite part of tennis. 
But once I actually started embracing the fact that tennis matches aren't my favorite part of tennis, looking at it as more of a learning experience and something that will make me better in tennis, but also in the rest of life, I actually developed more tools to deal with it because I acknowledged that I needed to deal with it. If you have a problem, just acknowledge it. Just (laughs) embrace it. Yeah, I love that. I couldn't agree more. Should we get into our question session? Yeah, it's more like an advice session today, which I'm excited about. (laughs) We got this one from Threads, didn't we? Yeah. Do you want to read it? The question is, I know my worth and there is something bigger in store for me in my life, but there are limitations preventing me from fully moving into it. What advice do you have? I can answer first. My first thought when I read this question was, it starts with, I know my worth. And I try not to use phrases like, I know my worth or I know what I deserve, because I think that they bring a lot of emphasis to the lack. And we talked about in our 2024 ins and outs episode that we're doing away with the scarcity mindset. Basically, I try not to use words like that just because I don't want to bring emphasis to the things that I don't have, because I think that that right there prevents you from having that life you want and moving into it, like you were saying. That'd be my first piece of advice. (laughs) But I also fully relate to this question because I have this feeling all the time where it's like, I know there's something more out there for me, but I know there are a few roadblocks to getting there. For the person who asked this, obviously, I don't know your exact situation. (laughs) It's it's pretty vague. (laughs) But my advice would be to, one, surround yourself with people who make space for you and who will support you when you want to go bigger. Because the truth is that a lot of people that have been in your life for many years, like your family and friends that you've known for 20 years or however long, a lot of them might try to hold you back. It's not a conscious thing, but they don't want to see you grow and be more successful because they feel like they're being left behind. And so because of that, they'll kind of try and keep you in a box. So, Or they might just not understand your aspirations. Right. I mean, that too. But a lot of times at a subconscious level, it's like they don't want you to grow and move beyond. So I would just say surround yourself with people who do understand and are there to make that space for you to grow. My second piece of advice would just be to try to have a really clear vision for your life and so clear that you write it down, like exactly the things you want, what you want to bring into your life. You mentioned you had some roadblocks. I don't know what things are, but if you just focus on getting a little bit better each day and you have that clear vision, in my opinion, there's literally nothing that can hold you back except for you. Oh, I love that advice. It is interesting because we took this in completely different directions, but I agree with everything you just said. And I have so much to say based on what you just said. The first thing I'll say, because you were just talking about it, was when you develop that clear vision for what you want in your life, it makes it easier to actually work backwards and say, okay, what are the things I need to accomplish in the next year? What are the things I need to accomplish in the next six months? What are the things I need to accomplish? Or what are the steps I need to take in the next three months, one month, two weeks, etc.? So that's one positive to having that really clear vision. And then the other thing I wanted to say was I literally posted a, that thread the other day on the pod Instagram, which was surround yourself with people who genuinely want you to succeed. Mm-hmm. That is the recipe for success when you're surrounded, and I'm sure we'll do a podcast on this sometime, but when you're surrounded by people that don't actually care if you succeed or don't actually want you to succeed or don't really understand what you're doing or why you're doing it, 
that's where you get really held back because it, I mean, they've talked about before, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Environment is definitely everything. Right. And going off of that, it's not just the people, it's also the environment. If you want to have a mansion, drive to a nice neighborhood and walk around and be in that energy because then it will come to you. Exactly. It's just manifesting. That's all. Surround your... Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Manifest it. Um, (laughs) Just forget about the Roblox. I don't do anything else. (laughs) Just like actually don't worry about all that. (laughs) So I really like everything that you said. My take on this question, the first thing I wanted to say about this question was it just totally reminded me of when I was 12 years old watching Disney Channel. And I was like, I should be on Disney Channel. Those (laughs) kids on Disney Channel, why am I not on Disney Channel right now? I know. With the wand, making the ears. I know. I mean, I'm sure that was every kid's dream. But I was like, I know that should be me right there. (laughs) That never happened. So my first advice when you're in this situation where you feel like there's more in store for you, but just not really happening is focus on what you can control. I mean, we just spent quite a while talking about this, but at the end of the day, there's going to be things you have control over your diet, your exercise, who you spend your time with where you spend your time. There's going to be things that you don't have control over. The weather, other people's thoughts about you, the garbage truck that parked right behind your car and now you're late for work, whatever it is. So (laughs) just focus on the things you can control. And then one thing I would really think about is increasing your luck surface area. What I mean by that is consistently put yourself in situations where you can meet new people, where you can see success, where you can be surrounded by new ideas. Consistently put yourself in those situations. You're not going to get as lucky if you sit at home all day. If you go out and you go to conferences, if you go volunteer at things that you're interested in, if you go to a hotel where there's lots of cool people, (laughs) you'll probably meet cool people. So mm-hmm. just go do things and put yourself out there. You literally never know what could be in store. Along with that, along with being kind of a mix of focusing on what you can control and consistently putting yourself in those situations where you might get lucky is just be consistent with what you can. Trust the process. Know in your heart that you are doing your best. People consistently overestimate what they can accomplish in a week and underestimate what they can accomplish or how much their life can change in a year. I would just say, trust the process. Know that you're putting in work day in and day out. That work means something. It might not manifest in the way that you expect it to or want it to at the moment you expect it to or want it to, but it is meaningful. I love that. We did take that in totally different directions, but I really like the point you made about luck because my stepdad always tells me, you create your own luck. I love that. And it's so true. Hard work pays off, not always in the way you expect it to and not always in the way that you wanted it to, but hard work does pay off. If you work hard and put yourself in situations where you have the opportunity to see success, good things will come. Hopefully that helped. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for the question. We loved it. Again, Ron, Xie and I are big on threads, so Own Your Life Pod (laughs) is on threads. (laughs) Lexi and I are also on threads. (laughs) Whether you want to hear about my Lululemon browsing and apples that's up to you but own your life pod is on threads we're also on instagram and we'll definitely link all that in the show notes it's a good way to get inside just our day-to-day thoughts because we post a lot of stuff that's just a random thought and i don't know it's pretty fun sometimes it resonates sometimes i get a like or two (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that wraps it up for us 
It definitely does. If you would leave us a review or even just send us your feedback, that would be great. We'd really appreciate it. We've definitely got a growth mindset with this. So we know we're new and we're trying to get better. Yeah, I just want to say for, I mean, this is our fifth episode. We're just about to hit the one month mark of when we announced the pod. And I just want to say for everyone who has sent us a kind message, just a DM on Instagram, we read those and they mean the world to us. And we always will screenshot them and we'll send them (laughs) to each other. We love that. So thank you so much for anyone who has done that. And if you want to leave us a rating with a review on the actual podcast, like on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, that would be amazing. Thank you all for listening. As always, follow us on Instagram, follow Own Your Life on Instagram. All of our Instagrams will be linked in the show notes. We'll be back next week. Have a good rest of your Monday. Bye.